Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses are joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. <clears throat> and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning at Celebration Church and again over at our campuses. Uh, speaking of our campuses, we have a, a new member at our Appleton campus, a little baby born, Livia Grace Novak from Mike and Just Novak. Give them a hand. <clears throat> we like babies. Have lots of babies. It's one way to grow a church. Uh, also, I want to announce that uh, tomorrow night, across all the campuses, we're going to be having our Welcome to Church Night. If you're fairly new to Celebration Church, uh, we'd invite you to come out. It starts at 6.30. There'll be free pizza. And uh, sit with us, and uh, I'll get a chance to explain to you uh, more in detail who we are as a church, where we come from, what our history is, what it is exactly that we think and believe, <clears throat> how the church operates as an organization, and then you can answer any, ask any questions that you might have. Uh, and those over at the campuses, they'll be able to text in, right? Is that right? We're doing this time? We're going to be able to text in questions and be able to answer your questions from uh, the campuses as well. So tomorrow night, 6.30, come for the pizza, if nothing else. <clears throat> and then in uh, two more weeks is Super Bowl Sunday. Now, assuming things go well today, <clears throat> our beloved Packers will join them. Either way, it's coming, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, Fe February 5th. In uh, uh, the last few years, what we've done is we've done a special uh, a presentation of uh, professional football players who have faith in Jesus and how Jesus changed their lives. And uh, we're going to be sharing that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Got a little promo clip right here. Hey, everybody. With the Super Bowl coming up, we've got a great opportunity for you to connect your church to your community. It's called Football Sunday, and last year, over 2 million people watched. You'll see stories from NFL players DeBrickishaw Ferguson, Anquan Bolden, and Brandon Marshall, as well as other NFL players who will be playing in the Super Bowl. Every morning, we wake up in a world that is desperate for Christ, whether they know it or not. And because of that, our friends at The Increase have created Football Sunday to share the love of Christ with that world. So this is our chance, our chance to invite our community in here so that they can experience the love of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers to church on Super Bowl Sunday. All right, Super Bowl Sunday. Invite your neighbors and friends, particularly if the Packers are in the Super Bowl. 
so they can get all the prayers they can handle. <laughs> I got the gold on, I just don't have the green today. I didn't have anything green with the gold. <clears throat> By the way, last week, seriously, seriously, I thought I was going to die of a heart attack. I mean, my heart is just pounding. My head's getting dizzy. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this is it. I'm going to die watching a stupid game. <clears throat> Headlines, pastor dies, stupid death. <laughs> anyway, so hopefully uh, we don't have, have another heart attack today, but uh, hopefully they do well. And uh, <clears throat> Super Bowl Sunday coming up. We are in a series that we started last week, launching into this new year, called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to go through and hit some of the significant key events. that We're not going to be, obviously, going through the whole Old Testament, but just the key events. Why is that? Because they're key to understanding our faith today. Uh, without knowing what happens in the Old Testament, some of the New Testament is kind of hard to understand. How did we get here? Why do we pray the way that we do? Why doesn't God do this? Why don't we try this? Why don't I drink some water? <clears throat> Good man. <clears throat> I don't think it's a water thing. I just got this frog that won't get out of my throat. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, Old Testament. So we're going to look at these key events to show us you know, why we pray the way we pray, why God works the way he does, why don't we do certain things? Because we learn that from the Old Testament. If you don't know these Old Testament accounts, uh, you're going to be missing some key things in your Christian faith. So that's what we're going to do. A lot of people are fairly new to their faith in our church, and mo many of you don't know these stories at all. Uh, or some of you will remember them from the, uh, you know, the children's version, which are overly simplified and very sanitized. <laughs> so... Uh, we're going to be looking at these and, uh, and grow from it. I have no idea how long this will take, but I'm not going anywhere. What's the rush? Assuming I don't die of a heart attack today. <clears throat> All right. So um, now the first significant event in the Old Testament, obviously, is the account of creation. We don't decided not to really get into that because we get into it every so often when we talk about the Apostles' Creed, talking about we believe in God, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, few parts of the Bible are more debated than the early chapters of Genesis, how much of it is symbolic, how much of it is literal, it doesn't really matter. The reality is we are here because God put us here. God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't the result of some big cosmic burp somewhere, okay? And God spoke and things came to life. And God spoke, the Bible says, and so it said to the earth, bring forth animals and stuff. And that's what came forth from there. But when it comes to mankind, it's a whole different ballgame. Even if you look at it, it's in the most symbolic of senses. What symbolically would say is that when it came to the creation of man, God created man of his own hands and breathed into him the breath of life. Your grandma was not a critter. Okay, we didn't come from critters. If you want to debate the critters came from critters, I don't care. But we are not critters and didn't come from critters. We are made in the image and likeness of God. All right, so... <clears throat> The next significant event, obviously, is the fall of man. Now, what happens is God creates Adam, gives him this wife Eve. He puts him in this glorious garden and gives them one rule. <laughs> this one tree, you can't eat from the one tree. 
And people say, well, why? Why the one tree? Why did he do that? Because without some kind of conditions, love is not possible, which is one of the reasons that I get highly irritated by this idea, this phrase, unconditional love. I know what people are trying to say when they say that, all right, uh, that God loves us no matter what. So I have unconditional love for my children. Okay, I know what you're trying to say. You love them no matter. But the reality is there are conditions in every relationship. Your relationship with your wife, relationship with your kids, okay? Uh, certainly our relationship with God. Uh, if you want to say God loves us no matter what, say that. Don't start adding this unconditional because it actually, words have meaning. And unconditional is a bad phrase from a faith perspective because the Bible is filled, if nothing else, it's the list of conditions. To say that there's no conditions is patently false and absurd. Uh, in this book that I did, The Battle Over the Rules, talking about how couples fight about <laughs> what the rules are and who can do what, um, I, I point out the fact that uh, I go through the uh, key promises of the New Testament. We skipped over the Old Testament because we'd be there forever. But just all the key promises of the New Testament. And every single promise in the Bible, old and new, we could not find one single promise in the Bible that did not come with a condition. Not a one. Now, I'm not saying I didn't miss one, despite my Greek God looks. <laughs> I may have missed one and made a mistake. If you can find one, let me know. We couldn't find a one. Every single one. We go through every single major promise in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically. And, and it's the same with the Old Testament. We just didn't go through all the ones in the Old Testament. They all come with conditions. This idea that there's true love means no conditions is absurd. It is insane. God loves you. I get it. No matter what, I get it. But don't use unconditional because there are conditions. We need to meet God's conditions. And that's why we read the scriptures to find out what the conditions are. Same is true again, even in marriage. That's that sense of, of the book. You know, I talked about last week, that stupid movie back in the 70s, love story. That's the phrase was, you know, love is never having to say you're sorry, which is ridiculous. Love is nothing but saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <clears throat> All right. So without the one condition, there's no choice. God puts the one tree, one tree, of all the trees, one tree. Now, we don't know how long it was before Adam and Eve went to the one tree. Based on their descendants, I would say about 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I think they just made a beeline for that sucker, man. I don't think they has wasted any time getting right up to that thing. Oh, look at it. It looks kind of pretty, you know. And, and we read... Uh, the fall of man, we read last week, how the serpent tempts Eve and tells her to start doubting what God said and adding to what God said. Don't worry, it'll be fine. Oh, it's all going to be great. And we pick up the story in uh, the sixth chapter, I'm sorry, third chapter, sixth verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then immediately, the next verse, what happens as a result of them doing what God told them not to do? Changing the direction of God's intent for mankind. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Number one, the first thing that, they ha that happened to them was an incredible sense of shame. What is shame? It's humiliation, regret, chagrin, remorse, embarrassment, self-reproach, self-reproof, self-disgust, always being aware of being exposed and failing to measure up. This has been passed down to every man, woman, and child since that day. Mankind, if nothing else, is constantly struggling with a sense of shame. Now, the good news is that in Jesus, this is lifted. He lifts our shame, and he gives us new life. It's surprising to me how many Christians don't get this. Even though they come to Christ in faith, they still live in this state of shame. They always feel bad. I never measure up. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I stink. I'm nothing but a scuzzball. Whatever a scuzzball is. It's a ball of scuzz. What is scuzz? I don't know. But it's in our language, right? Scuzzball. You're not a scuzzball. You're a child of God. He lifts all that away from you. Romans 10 says this. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him, talking about Jesus, will never be put to shame. This sense of not measuring up is lifted. Some of you have a hard time shaking it because of what your parents and everybody around you always said. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. You're a failure. Well, Jesus comes and says, no, no, you're a child of God. And he lifts you out of that and takes away your shame. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, we read these words. God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hard for people to grasp. You don't understand. When you come to Jesus, he takes your sin. He gives you his righteousness. When God Almighty looks at you, he sees the righteousness of God. Really? Yes. That's what changes everything. We now walk in the righteousness of God. We don't walk around with this sense of, oh, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I stink. Now, granted, granted, sometimes we, we sin and we fail, and of course, normal shame comes at that point. But right away, we should turn from that sin, confess it to God. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have this incredible swap that happens. He takes our shame, our sin, we take his what's right about him. All right? So first of all, shame. Immediately they felt shame. Oh. Then we read, continuing, uh, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. Shamed, it's naked, so I hid. The second thing that we see right away is that Adam and Eve and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve tend to run from God. Rather than to run towards God to get things straightened out and fixed, the most natural thing within us when we sin is we want to hide. We want to hide and we want to run. Part of it's because of the shame. The other is because we're convinced God is mad and wants to knock us upside the head. Jesus went out of his way to communicate the kind of God he actually is. And he gave us this story in Luke, the 15th chapter. It's a parable. Jesus told in the story there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, hey, pops, 
give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So now he's got all this money. Money, money, money. He's got all this. He's feeling good. Not long after that, the younger son got, all, got together all he had because it was burning a hole in his pocket. And he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living, partying, partying. And I bet you he was quite the party to be around. One thing's for sure. You got a lot of money, you throw it around people, you have all kinds of friends. If you had more money, you'd have more friends. Right? Everybody, like, oh, party time. He's paying for everything, picking up the tab. Woo! Until he ran out of money. Then nobody wanted anything to do with him. Verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, the whole country, and he began to be in need, needed a job. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. The guy was so hungry, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Man, you know you are down. When you're envying pigs, when looking at the pigs, and man, look at that. I wish I could have some of that. But no one gave him anything. Jesus says, when he came to his senses, now this is a key phrase, when he came to his senses. Man, don't delay coming to your senses. I know the sense of when we fail and we don't do the right thing, we just want to run and hide. But at some point, you need to come to your senses. Some people take years. Some people take decades. They go through all kinds of hell for no reason before they come to their senses. This guy comes to his senses and said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he comes up with a plan. He's convinced his father will have nothing to do with him. He's convinced his father has disowned him. He has every right to do so. He's taken everything that he was given and wasted it like a fool. But he comes up with a plan. He says, I'll set out, go back to my father, and, and I'll say this to him. Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I get it. But look, if you just can make me like one of your hired servants, just, just give me a job. I, don't, I, just, I just want a job. Can you, can you just squeeze me in as doing something? So he finally gets all his courage up. He starts the long walk home, rehearsing this speech over and over and over again in his mind. Convince his father will have nothing to do with him. Dreading. Starts to turn the corner to home. He can see it off in the distance. Oh, man. Here goes. He got up, went to his father. But Jesus said, but while he was still a long way off, his father looks up. Who that? Oh, wait a minute. No. Really? That's my boy. And his father saw him. And his immediate response was to be filled with compassion for him. And Jesus says he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. 
And the son, he goes into his speech. He's worked his speech. He's got to get it out. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can finish his speech, the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Bad news if you're the fatted calf. <laughs> Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. What is Jesus trying to say? Look, if you'll step towards God, he will run towards you. And will embrace you. And kiss your little face. Don't be like your parents. By your parents, I mean Adam and Eve. Hiding. Running away from God when they needed to run towards him. So Adam and Eve, they're ashamed. They're hiding. We continue this story in verse 11. God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, I'm pretty sure God knew exactly what they'd done. Being all-knowing. Why would he ask that question? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to? Because he's given him a chance to fess up. Given him a chance to confess and to make it right. Is that what Adam does? Is that what Eve does? <gasps> no. They start to make excuses and pass the buck. Verse 12, the man said, it's that woman you gave me. He's blaming the woman and God at the same time. It's that woman you put here. If you hadn't given me the chick, none of this had happened. She gave it to me. It's her fault. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this if you've done? And she says, the serpent did it. It's not my fault. You remember Philip Wilson? The devil made me do it. I didn't mean to do it. The devil made me do it. I wasn't going to do it. The devil made me do it. No, you did it. Man, she's passing it off, both of them. And ever since then, all of their children, every one of us in here, that's what we do. Make excuses. Deflect. Wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. The dog ate my homework. Somebody else's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my granny's fault. It's my cousin's fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's my boss's fault. If only in school this would happen. It's my teacher's fault. Everybody's, it's the government's fault. Boy, we got a lot of that today. Everybody else's fault, not my fault. And rather than own up to our failings and our shortcomings, we make excuses. Man, don't be like mom and dad. By the way, don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. I'm stunned at how many people struggle with the idea of saying, I'm sorry. You know where you get that from? You get that from mom and dad. That psychotic, crazy thinking in them got passed down to you. What's the problem with saying I'm sorry? Nothing happens when you say you're sorry. It's not like your arm falls off. 
nothing happens, but you, you just can't say it. Don't be like that. Eight words that'll change your world. Eight words. Eight words that'll change your life for the rest of your life. You ready? I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. Everybody say it. I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. See, nobody died. All you men, look at your wives. Say, I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. Nobody died. What's the big stinking deal? Learn to say you're sorry this next week. I want all y'all, every day, next week, you wake up every day, say to God, give me an opportunity to say I'm sorry to somebody. Chances are you'll have lots of them. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Well, it's somebody else's fault. But, but, but Pastor, what if it wasn't really my fault? So what? Say you're sorry anyway. Well, I ain't going to do that. You need to do that. Don't be like Adam. Be like Jesus. Because he, he took our sins and none of it was his fault. See, Adam said, no, not me. Ah, it's not my fault. It was your fault. You gave me that crazy chick, that crazy woman. The woman said, what my fault? It was that serpent, man, he, he told me all these stories. What my fault? But Jesus said, it's my fault. I'll tell you, I want you to think about how incredible this is. Jesus, the complete opposite of what Adam did. It's like if you're standing before God on judgment day and all your sins pop up and all the hurt and the pain and anguish that is all created and God says, who is responsible for this? Looking straight at you. Jesus steps up and says, I am. It's my fault. I'll take the rap. <laughs> Are you getting this? This is amazing. This is what happens. He sets right all that was done wrong. Because he's willing to take the fault. He's willing to take the rap when it wasn't his fault at all. Let's be like him. This is the joy that we celebrate as Christians. This incredible deal. He takes our wrong. We get his right. All the mistakes that we take, he will take the rap for it. That's what he did on the cross. He took the rap for all of us. People watch us on TV all around Wisconsin this morning. Say, you, you, you Christians, you know. Why are you so happy? Why are you so... This is why. This makes you happy. This is incredible. <laughs> it's amazing how many, if you walk around as a happy Christian, inevitably someone will ask you, what have you been drinking? Right? A lot of y'all had it. How many of you ever had that to you? Yeah, yeah. Some, some, some of y'all are very happy. That's the problem with you guys. I've had it several times. Walking with us. 
Quick trip. Oh, what you what you been drinking? They can't comprehend that without some kind of artificial stimulant, no one could be that happy. I'll tell you why we're happy. This deal. I have made the deal of a lifetime. He has taken my shame. I don't have to run anymore. And he's taken the rap from me. I don't need to deflect anymore. That's why I'm happy. You Christian, why, why do y'all sing? Why do you go to church? Sing, raise your hands. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because of this. You know why they think we're crazy? You know why? Because it's true that if you have a large response with not much stimulus, that you're crazy. Right? For example, the Packers playing today. If they score, it's a big stinking deal. Everybody jumps up and down going, ah! my cat runs for his life. What did I do? You know, ah! Jump it up and down, smash it out, clear. We're trying to come back to life. I mean, does anybody think you're crazy? No, because it was a great stimulus, great response. Now, if you're sitting in Lambeau Field on a Tuesday, And you start jumping up and down and screaming. Now you're a little crazy. Right? No stimulus. Great response. You're crazy. See, people look at us and think we're crazy when we sing and we suffer because they don't see the stimulus. When you start to understand the stimulus, look what happens here. What a swap. What a deal. He makes right everything that's wrong. He takes my guilt. Thank you, God. Why are we sing? What's that old hymn? I sing because I'm happy. You know the song? Where's the piano? <laughs> Turn on the lights. He's dark over here. I sing. They just turned on the snow-making machine over here by accident. <laughs> I ain't singing because of the snow. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow. Watches over me. You know that song? Yeah. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know. He watches me. Hallelujah. That is why we sing. We sing because we're happy. Why are we happy? Because it's an incredible deal. No more shame. 
No more running and hiding. No more having to deflect and make excuses. Because he says, I'll take the rap. It's my fault. That's <laughs> why we give of our time. Give of our talents. Give of our money. People think we're really crazy when you give money. Why would you give money? <laughs> Must be a cult. Because <laughs> no, we're grateful. We're grateful. So you get this picture. You start to understand this. You get this right stimulus. Everything else becomes easy. It's easy to sacrifice. It's easy to give. It's easy to celebrate. Because what was terribly screwed up has been wonderfully set right. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your gift of Jesus. How upon that cross, he became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Lord, help us to realize what we have in you. Help us to walk free of shame, not be running away from you, but to run towards you. And not to make excuses, but to realize if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to take the rap for us. Lord, for anybody listening to me this morning who doesn't really know you, who's never really experienced this, they might have even gone to church all their lives, but they've never really gotten this. God, I pray you'd open their hearts and eyes right now that they might realize that coming to you and putting their faith in you, you can set right what was done wrong so many years ago. And for this, we are grateful in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and God bless the Green Bay Packers. <laughs>